as we go through verse by verse, word by word, through the book of 1 Samuel. And we are in part four of this chapter, which I think is probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, in the story between David and Goliath. And we've spent so much time working on the preparation for the battle. It is the preparation that you need to understand. That's what determines victory or loss. Today we're going to focus on the rules of the battle. The rules of the battle that we have to follow. There are rules in every parts of life. Now sometimes it's okay to break those rules. Let me tell you what happened to me this week. On Wednesday, I had you know two little girls that I alone was responsible for taking care of, and I kept bribing them. If you're good, if you're good, we will go to McDonald's in Ortonville, right by our house. We will go to McDonald's, and we'll go to the play structure, the play structure if you're good. So I kept pushing that off and pushing it off. So it came about Wednesday, about 8 o'clock, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I take them, we get in our car, pile up, and we drive it less, you know, just a half a mile or so, and we go to McDonald's. Here's the interesting thing about McDonald's on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. No one's in there. Great time to go. So we go, we order the food, and the ladies behind the McDonald's counter were wonderful to me. They helped me out. They, they saw that I didn't know what I was doing. They saw that I was frazzled and everything and trying to, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do I had, literally, I, I'm surprised they didn't call the police on me because we got our food and everything sat down, and then Chloe goes, I got to go potty. I'm like, I asked you before if you had, so I'm the only one. I can't leave one of them, so let's go, and we both go to the men's restroom. I take all, both of them in there, put Chloe on the, the potty, and Carly looks over at this thing that she's never seen in a men's restroom and starts to do this. And I went, get ready, I went, no! Because I'm like, if you touch that, you will never touch me again. And in my mind, my germaphobe's going on and stuff. So we went there, and so we're up there in the playground structure and everything. Carly... Carly's more of the daredevil, and she's the only two and stuff, but she's incredibly stubborn. And so we got there at the McDonald's Playland structure on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and uh, she got up to the third level. Didn't know what to do. Come on down, Carly. Mm-mm. Carly, come down. Mm-mm. Carly, come down. Mm-mm. And so she's stuck up there. So I'm all alone, and you know what had to happen. I start climbing in and out of the McDonald's Playland structure on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Two things went through my mind. Number one went through my mind. I am so glad Jim Merrill is not here to take a picture, because I knew he would have. The second thing went through my mind. I had just heard this news story that Wednesday night before Thanksgiving is considered like the biggest party night of the year. People come home from college and on drinking and bars and don't do that and everything like that. But, and I thought, you know, what a difference between 22 and 47. Because here I am, all alone, trying to get this kid down in McDonald's Playland on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And so I'm about like three-fourths of the way up there, and I'm twisting my body and everything. I am not designed to go on McDonald's Playland on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And I'm going through this, and in walks one of the ladies who works there. Well, there's a sign, you know, about age. I think it said like 12 and under and stuff. It's like, And so she walks in, and I'm facing her right at the door like this. And I'm like, Hi. And she looks at me, kind of looks at the sign, and I go, not supposed to be doing this, right? And she just laughed and said, well, I won't tell if you don't tell. And I guess I just broke the rule. But uh, there are times when you have to break rules. And that's the only way I got Carly down. And God bless her. In a couple months, she'll find out what happens to her. But anyways, um, <clears throat> but in God's battle, there are spiritual rules. 
And see, that's the problem. Throw this up here. Spiritual battles are spiritual rules. You keep breaking God's spiritual rules. And then you wonder why your marriage is the way it is. You keep breaking God's spiritual rules, and then you wonder why your kids are the way they are. You keep breaking God's spiritual rules, and you wonder why you're in so much financial debt. You keep breaking the rules and wonder why you're not having victory and why you don't consider yourself an overcomer and a victorious Christian. Today, sort of the subtitle, maybe, of what I'm really talking about is about being a spiritual warrior. A spiritual warrior. If you're going to fight in God's army and be a spiritual warrior, you're going to have to follow God's rules. Amen? This is the issue in your life. God has spiritual rules, and you're contradicting them. I'm going to give you today, as we look at David's life, the rules before engaging the battle. The rules before. Number one, be sure your orders come from above. Be sure your orders come from above. Look at verse 17, 1 Samuel 17, 17. And Jesse said unto David, I'm just going to stop right there. Repeatedly, there's a characteristic of David. And it's a characteristic many of you aren't going to like. It's a characteristic that's not popular in our culture today. The characteristic of David is that he is repeatedly submitting to authority. Yes, that's that. That's traumatic. He repeatedly submits to authority. Before, David is under Saul's authority. King Saul, and he's doing what King Saul, he's playing his harp for it. We saw that just a few chapters ago. And he's under Saul's authority. Young people, let me say this to you. The number one human authority in your life is your parents. It is a God-ordained authority. If you're here and you're like, well, my mom and dad don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Let me just say this to you bluntly, directly. You are defying one of the spiritual rules that God has placed in your life. Amen? Look, I'm going to go even further on this. I'm going to make some of you maybe mad at me. If you want to get married and mom and dad say, uh-uh, he is not the right one. You know what you're supposed to do? Don't get married. Well, but pastor, my parents aren't, you know, my dad is kind of a jerk. And Okay, King Saul was a horrible man. And yet David submitted to his authority. It's not that the authority is wonderful because you will never find perfect authority. Amen? Oh, I'll only listen. Where, where are you at, Austin, right? Somebody's going to pull, you know, you're going to pull somebody over and they're going to be like, well, but, you know, you were broke the law back there too. And you're like, well, right, you're going to break the law as a police officer. And, right, traffic violations here and there. You do everywhere because you're a human being. You don't listen to Austin if he pulls you over as a state trooper. You don't listen to him because he's perfect. You listen to him because he's an authority in your life. You do not submit to authority when it's perfect. You submit to authority when it's God-ordained. And young people, your parents are God-ordained authority in your life. Man, you love that, don't you, parents? You love hearing that. Yes. Some of you are like, I should have brought my daughter today. But here's the problem, though. You understand that as a parent. You're like, yes. Let me flip it on you. So you, some of you are just as rebellious as a 16-year-old towards their parents. God's placed authority in your life. Police officers? Yes. There's some legal authority he's placed in your life. But you know, spiritually, God's put spiritual people over you. Authorities. Your deacons are a spiritual authority. Your Sunday school teacher is a spiritual authority. Your pastor is a spiritual authority. 
And see, we understand when a teenager, right? We don't know this, when a teenager looks back at their parents and say, I can't wait to get out of your house. You can stop telling me what to do, and I'm going to live my life on my own. We all know that. That ain't going to end well, is it? That never ends well. But then as an adult, we turn around and go, well, I don't like my Sunday school teacher. I'm not going to listen to him. There's a good chance he doesn't like you too. I don't like that deacon. I didn't ask you to respect the, the individual person. I didn't ask you to even love the individual person. But I'm telling you this, God places spiritual authority in your life. And when you rebel against it, it's like a teenager looking at their parents. The characteristic of David, David is already, listen, do you understand this? David has been ordained. Samuel came, put the oil, big show, big production. You're the next king. And yet David is under King Saul, who's a bad authority. But he's also under his father, Jesse's authority, who is a good man. Even though he is about to be the next king, he submits to the authority that has been placed over him. Before you do anything, though, make sure you are under God's authority. I want to give you three things when orders come from above. This is too long. Watch David's example. When orders come from above, number one, you will bring care to others. Look at verse 17. Take now for thy brethren an ephod of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten cheese unto the captain of their thousand. Jesus will say this in Matthew 23. The, the very first rule is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and everything. And that's the first rule. Amen? Then he said the second is that you love your neighbor as yourself. The idea is this. If you truly are loving God, if you are truly loving Jesus, if you are truly doing that, you can love anyone else. And you will be compelled to love anyone else. See, you've got a, you've got an ex. You have, oh, wait, let's make this even better. You have an ex-mother-in-law. That's even worse, isn't it? Uh, you have an ex-mother-in-law. So I can't love her. Yes, you can. You can love. You can maybe even forgive her. If I'm truly loving God, the next idea byproduct is that I love and take care of other people even if they're a jerk to me. Number two, you will bring relief to others. Verse 18, look now thy brother fair. Uh, David says, listen, your first responsibility is to bring food to the battle. But you know what you're really there, David? You're really there to encourage someone else. You're really there to encourage other people. Number three, you will connect others to others. Look at verse 18 again. And take their pledge. Uh, the King James Version that I'm using uses the word pledge. It means a letter or news. What Jesse is saying this, David, take the food, make sure that the boys are okay, but would you find out how they're doing and bring it back? Because not only do I want them to be okay, I want to find out how they're doing, and I want them to know that I love them. May I suggest these are three great principles about making any major decision in your life about making any, really, any decision that you're going to do in your life. In fact, at 9.30, I had a couple, and they've retired, and they said, well, you just ruined our plans because we were thinking about selling our house and you know moving down south and everything. I said, well, that's not what I was talking about. He said, but we're going to be moving away from our grandkids. And Yeah. Is the decision you're about to make, will it bring care to other people? Is it going to help other people? Sometimes there are tough decisions, and sometimes you have to make tough decisions. Sometimes you have to exercise tough love. Don't misunderstand me. The decision you're going to make, is it going to bring care to people? Will it bring relief to people? 
Is it going to connect other people to other people? Or are you going to be driving a wedge between people? Are you going to be separating part of your family from the other part of your family forever? Spiritual people, spiritual warriors, have spiritual rules. And if somebody's telling you to do something and it contradicts one of these three things, I don't think it's God. In fact, I know it's not God. Change what you're about to do based on these three decisions. Number two, the rules before engaging in battle. Be sure your responsibility is secure. Look at verse 20. This is real. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on two parts. One, I'm going to be, I, maybe you might interpret it as selfish. I'm going to talk about it as a pastor. And then secondly, husbands, get ready. I'm going to talk to you again. Okay? Be sure your responsibilities are secure. Look at verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. What was David's job before he moved on to another job? He was a shepherd. That's not a big deal. That's not a big job. It's just sheep, everything, right? That's not important unless you're one of the sheep. If David just walks away from his responsibility, how many of these little sheep die? All right, I'm going to say this as a church. Be sure before you leave your job, before you finish your responsibility, that there is someone else to take that responsibility. Well, Pastor Steve, it's really not that important. Well, it might not be important to you, but it might be important to somebody else. And if it's not important to anybody, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. Maybe we should just cut it out. Sir, if you're working in a class, if you're doing something, if there's a ministry you're involved in, before you walk away from it, make sure that your responsibility is secure. Amen? Sir, husbands, your number one responsibility to your kids, to your family, to your wife, your number one responsibility is to love your wife. You say, well, I'm, I have to provide a large home, and I have to be able to make sure my wife doesn't work. I have to be able to do this. I have to be able to have this and make sure my kids go to this college. And those. No. I mean, those aren't bad things. I'm not saying any of that's bad. That's not your number one responsibility. Your number one responsibility is to love your wife. It's, it's not odd that Paul repeatedly tells wives, hey, respect your husband, but constantly harps on the men and harps on the husbands, love your wife. There is nothing wrong with your family or your marriage that would not be changed if you did not love your wife. So Pastor, well, she did this. You're, you're right. You may have a complete reason to divorce her. You may have biblical reasons. I, I don't really know your situation. It could be a horrific thing that has taken place. But you understand, your number one responsibility, sir, your number one responsibility is to love your wife. But she doesn't love me back. She's filed for divorce. Okay, you might not be able to do anything about that. I've told this to men repeatedly. You go to divorce court and you tell the judge, I love my wife. I love my wife. And you just keep saying, I love my wife. They said, well, they have accusations again. I love my wife. I love my wife. Love your wife, sir. That's your number one responsibility on this planet. Man, I think if more men did that, You know, I, ladies, ladies are amazing and wonderful. Thank God for lazy ladies, man, because men are disgusting. But men, one thing you have over ladies, I will say this, is that you're pretty good at taking orders. You're pretty good at being mom-centered focused. Ladies can multitask and do I don't get that how my wife can do all these things and text me and everything at the same time. But 
Gentlemen, here's your one thing. This is your order. These are the rules for you. Love your wife. No matter what. Take care of her and love her. You'd be surprised how she might change. Number three, be sure your motives are right. All right, we're going to see a difference between David and Saul here. Verse 21 through 23, David sees Goliath for the first time, and I wonder what's going through his mind. That's got to be an amazing sight. Nine foot two Goliath. And the end of verse 23 says this, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. We're going to see two completely different types of people, two completely different types of worldviews, and two completely different things that motivate people. First, we're going to see Saul. Saul is a, a man of the flesh. He is a carnal believer. He is a backslidden believer, whatever terminology you want to be. Saul is a fleshly man. But David, David represents the spiritual man. He is the spiritual warrior. David is a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see that there's two different ways of motive. Today, right here, you are one or two of these things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are either the carnal man, and we're going to see the two things that motivate you, or you are a spiritual man. And when I say man, I mean men and women. You are a spiritual man, and we'll see the two things that motivate spiritual men and spiritual women. So let's look at Saul first. Look at verse 25, and it says this. And the men of Israel said, You have seen this man that has come up, surely to defile Israel. Is he come up, and he shall be, and the man who killeth him, this is what the king, this is important to King Saul, a carnal man, will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter. Now, later on, we'll find out who this daughter is. It's Micah, and she's really not a prize, to be honest with you. She's not a great wife to have. And make his father's house free in Israel, meaning they will get to live tax-free. The two things that motivate Saul and motivate a carnal man Motivate a man of the flesh or this. Number one, money. Number two, women. And quite frankly, when I say women, I'm just going to say it once. We're all adults. What I'm saying women is sex. Those are the two things. In fact, Dr. Freud would say, yep, that's exactly right. What motivates the average person is wealth and physical intimacy. If you're here today and you say, man, my number one thing, my number one motive, the reason I go to work is for money. And the reason I have get money is to get women. You are a carnal, fleshly man. That's not why you're supposed to go to work. That's not what your motivation is supposed to be. There's this really cool phrase. Instead of Dr. Freud, I want to give you Dr. Adrian Rogers. He said this. Because inside every person, inside every person, I'm going to say this, there's a God-shaped hole. Okay? And what people try to fill it with is like drugs, alcohol, money, sex. They, I said it twice, I'm sorry. They try to fill that hole with something, and the only thing you're ever going to fill it with is Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, you can try everything else. And Dr. Adrian Rogers, who's a hero of mine, gone on to be with the Lord. Most of my heroes are dead. I've noticed that. Uh, don't, you don't want me to idolize you. But Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, and I've been thinking about this. state. I've had this statement written down for like six months trying to find a place to use it. He said this, drugs are a synthetic form of salvation. What it means, it's a synthetic way of escaping your problems. It is a fake way of dealing with the God-shaped hole. And most of the people I find that, I mean, heroin's destroying our country, and most of the people I find that are on drugs, they're not necessarily there because they're like, hey, I want to throw my life away. Most people, if you talk with them long enough and the alcoholic and everything, what they're trying to do is most of them are trying to kill a pain. There is a God-shaped hole in their life. 
and they're trying to fill it with everything else. If you're here today and you're a believer in these two things, yeah, that's what motivates me. You are a carnal person. You are a fleshly believer. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you can try everything, money, sex, why is it that the people that are most famous that have all these things, they don't look happy? I mean, every, every week we find out what a scumbag somebody else is, right? In the, in the, I asked my wife, I said, is everyone in Hollywood and every politician a dirty, disgusting reprobate? And she said, yeah, pretty much. If sex, third time, and money and drugs, if it satisfied you, why are the people who have so much of it seem so miserable? Why do so many of them take their own life? Why do so many of them die early? Why are so many of them married multiple times and everything? I mean, would it really surprise you if I told you Kim Kardashian and Kanye broke up? Oh, no, what will I do with my collection plate? You know, they're ready. Oh, no. What will happen to Baby North or Blue or Ivory, whatever? Seriously. If it works so well, why do so many? Yeah, in fact, I know that it's scary, isn't it, right? You know what? I work alone. All right, there we go. <laughs> the fact that the people that have this is so empty, their lives are so empty, should tell you something, young people. Listen, listen to my message, so I'm just going to talk to you for a second. Kids, listen to me. I know because I was young, once young, it was a long time ago. We were dinosaurs, everything. It was really cool and stuff. I know, especially if you grow up in church and everything, there's a temptation. You know, my mom wouldn't let us. My dad wouldn't let us. I know there's a temptation. Well, I want to try. I want to try weed. Uh, I want to get drunk. I want to see what it's like. You know, I want to smoke this or do this. I want to. You know, everybody seems like you know you're the last virgin in school and stuff. I understand that there's that draw to pull you in that. Young people, at the end of that is nothing but death, destruction, and disease. No one has ever said, Jack Daniels saved my life. No one has ever said, you know, heroin got my marriage back together. No one's ever said things like that. Your parents aren't trying to kill your good time. They're trying to protect you from the pain that sin really is. I'm not asking you to change your worldview. I'm not asking you to change who you vote for. I'm not asking you to change anything like that. I'm asking for you to, would you just for a second consider the fact that maybe God knows more than you? I want you to see a spiritual man now. Here's a spiritual man. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him and saying, What shall be done of the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach, number one, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defile the armies of the living God? There were two things that a spiritual man stays on his mind. The motivations of a spiritual man are his country. Let me just say his home. We'll just call it his home for our practicality today. And secondly, his God. Um, I want to say this before I get started. I have great respect for everyone who serves in the military. I, I don't want anybody to think I don't. But I really love the Marines. I think the Marine uniform, I just think that is the really coolest thing. And in fact, I wanted to be a Marine when I was in high school, but they said, you know, there's a couple of things I was missing. Strength, skill, speed, agility, and stuff like that. So this literally happened. I don't know if the guy was joking or not. I'm not trying to insult any Army people, but this literally happened. 
was about 34, and I was a youth pastor. We did this big thing with our student ministry, like 70, 80 kids. We did a divide of like Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. We did this whole Sunday school campaign. So I went to the Marines to get like, you know, free stuff at the recruiting center. And I walked in. I'm 34, really out of shape, everything, gray hair coming out. The Marine recruiter looked at me and said, the Army's next door. Wow. <clears throat> Thanks, man. You just insulted the Army. But anyway, but the Marines have this really cool motto. And one of the things is God, country, core. I think that's great because it's about keeping your priorities. God, country, core. For a Christian, I'd like to draw an analogy with that. I think a Christian's motto should be God, home, church. God, home, church. Now, some of you, you might think that's an excuse not to serve God in church. You're going to use your home. And I've had people, well, I'd like to do this, but my family and stuff. No, listen, if God is your number one, I don't care what else is, you will get everything else in order. If you're here today and something else isn't God, if it is your children, parents, parents, I warn you, I beg you, I read a loop. God has a way of removing things that are number one in your life that are not him. Do not make it your children. Do not make it your home or your family or anything else. If it's not God, family, church, your priorities are wrong. If, if, if it's money, your priorities are wrong. You can insert whatever you want. The Marines have another saying, Semper Fi. And it means, it, it comes from the Latin, and it means always faithful. Christian, let it be said about you at the end of your life, at least one thing. They were faithful. Sir, I, I just feel like I need to talk with you. I, I, nobody's emailed me or anything. So, sir, let it be said about you at the end of your life that your kids can rise up and say, he was faithful to his God, and he was faithful to my mother. I've told Nate, Nate, there you are, you're back there. Nate will vouch for me. I've told Nate at my funeral, I don't care when it is, at the end of this, after this week, I think it might be tomorrow, but I told Nate, at, at my funeral, he has to say three things. My dad loved Jesus, loved my mom, and loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just not always in that order, but... But you know what? I, I want my son to be able to say at the end of my life, I don't care if he likes me or not. Come on, seriously. Where are you going to live tomorrow? Anyways, um, that's not it. I'm not asking him to respect me. I'm not. I want my son at the end of my life to be able to say, my dad was faithful to God. He was faithful to Jesus. And I want him to be able to say he was faithful to his responsibility of my mom. And then he can sit down. He doesn't have to talk about the Steelers. Sir, Semper Fi, always faithful. What a great thing to be able to say about you. What a great thing that your kids could rise up and just say at your funeral, rise up at the end of your life, Semper Fi, always faithful. Christian, are you faithful? And number four, be sure you know the cause. Verse 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Now, people will say things. Listen, If you listen to people, they will actually tell you the truth. If you, and when I counsel people, I just listen to them. And people will actually tell you what they're really thinking. Eliab is the oldest brother. And you're going to see the anger and rage in him towards David. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he spake unto the man. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Why is he so mad? Well, who's the oldest of the family? He is. He's the oldest brother. Who should have been anointed? 
Samuel came to town and poured the oil and made a big deal and the spectacular thing. And it was a spectacle and everybody was like, David's going to be the next king. Who in his mind should have been the next king? By all human logic, it's always the oldest. In fact, who did Samuel think would be the next king? Samuel was like, he probably was even talking to him. Here, man, I'm here to anoint the next king. It's going to be you. And probably started walking through. This is how your administration should look. This is how it should take place. And all of a sudden, God says, uh-uh, he's not the one. And who gets anointed instead of Eliab, the oldest? The runt, the little baby brother. And you can hear the anger. Watch what he says. And he said, why comest thou down here? Hey, uh, his father sent him. And whom hast thou left those? And watch this word. Underline it in your Bible. Here's a Freudian slip by him. Few sheep in the wilderness. It's a little dig, isn't it? It's Remember at Thanksgiving, your sister-in-law? You know, she, she has those little passive-aggressive comments at you. Say stuff, you know, you know, not everybody can pull off greasy hair, but you do a great job, right? You know, I, it's... I'm a, you know, it's so great the food you have with such limited ability you, you can do. You brought it. was good. You know, there's passive-aggressive comments. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I made that comment. You're the one. But this is what he said. Those few sheep you have. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. I love the King James. For thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. Look what he questions him. Look, at, he questions first his calling. Why camest thou down here? I was sent by my father. He questions his ability. The few sheep that you're in charge of in the wilderness. And you know what else he does? He questions his character. I know thy pride. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, if you're going to walk out of here today and be a spiritual warrior, if you're going to be on the front lines of a spiritual battle, I want to tell you something. You will make some enemies. You will separate yourself from some people. In fact, just by naturally serving God, you will create enemies. You go to the workplace. You don't have to stand up and get up on the, on the, you know, during lunch break and get up in the cafeteria and say, everyone gather here as I give you the word of God and tell you heathens how to be saved. You don't have to do that. You know what you start doing? You go to the workplace, you're through the cafeteria, and you just do something. Oh, hold on a second. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Thank you for giving it to me. You are awesome. Thank you for blessing me. Okay, now what were you saying? You want to really get some separate? If you like to be alone, if you like to be alone, one of the best things you can do, bring your Bible. If you fly, and like every time I fly, there's somebody, you know, I'm going to end up talking. Sometimes I just don't want to talk. So what I do is I take my Bible out. Nobody ever wants to talk to someone reading their Bible. You start serving Jesus, and you will naturally make some enemies. You will separate yourself from people. Not because you're walking away from them, but because, no, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Can I suggest to you today, you want a checklist if you are a spiritual warrior? What relationship have you lost because of Jesus? Not because you're an obnoxious Christian, right? Everyone knows that person who can only talk about Jesus and everything is, you know, hey, what do you think about the president? Well, I don't know, but there's a great president in Jesus. You know, oh, come on, man, back it off, Skippy, right? I mean, I like to talk about things other than Jesus, too. It's okay to do that, sports and weather and everything. Oh, it's beautiful weather. Well, you think this weather's great. You should try out heaven, you know. Like, oh, come on, man. I'm not talking about that type of personality. I'm just saying that you say, no, I just don't do that. Our family doesn't do this. We have a basic morality, and it's the biblical morality. Uh, I just don't do that. I don't drink. I just don't be part of it. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to. But this is our life, and this is how we're choosing it. We're following Jesus. You make those basics, basics, basics. Blah, blah, blah. That's awful. You make those type of stands, and I guarantee you, 
you will separate yourself from people. Here's David's response. Look at the future leader. You know what I've noticed about leaders? Leaders don't defend themselves. Amazing thing. David never defends himself. Here's the reality. People are going to believe what they want to believe. People think it. They're going to, it, it is what it is. If it's true, then you need to change. If it's not true, say praise God and move on. But you know what else I noticed about him? It's just like Jesus. He asked questions. Jesus was great about that. He always asked questions. Does it feel like it just got darker in the room right now? Yeah. The Lord is trying to talk to you. Oh, there it went. Okay, well, okay. Somebody prayed that demon away, right? Anyway, watch this. David asked you a question, verse 29. And David said, what have I now done? Great question. Paraphrase. What have I done to you? What have I said to you? How have I hurt you? And he asked this next one. Greatest, one of the greatest phrases in the Bible, greatest questions. And he says this. Is there not a cause? That is what we call a rhetorical question. And if you're like me and had to look that up, a rhetorical question means it's a question that doesn't need an answer. Because the answer is obvious. And the answer to, is there not a cause? The answer is yes. So what is our cause? Our cause is to picket movie theaters. Our cause is to write letters to politicians. Our cause is try to change the drinking age. Personal opinion, I would love to see the driving age, the drinking age, the smoking age raised to 40. Everybody under 40 doesn't know what they're doing, and that's just the rule. Anyways, all right, but here's our cause. Just joking, maybe 39. Our cause, number one, is to love God. Jesus says it repeatedly. The first commandment, everything, is love God. You know why, man? If you will just love God, everything will change in your family. If Jesus has all of your heart, you'll just be like, I just need to do this because I love him. I want him to have everything. You know, I don't preach about giving and money. You notice that? Because the reality is if God has you, he'll have your wallet. I don't talk about a lot of things because if God has you, he'll have everything that is about you. Number two, go into all the world. Go into all the world. What are we going into all the world for? This is what we're going into all the world for. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ. We're going into all the world for this reason. is because we are all sinners separated from God. We have all been born. But yet God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross. He lived 33 sinless years. He was God come in the flesh. He was God's payment for our sin. And he died on a cruel Roman cross for your sin and my sin. And that changes everything in our world. Amen? We go into all the world to tell the world that Jesus saves. God forgives. Warn people that there's a hell to shut but there's a heaven to win. And lastly, number three, we serve God. Anywhere, anytime, God, any place. Can I, can I tell you what our motto, like the Marines, right? Here's our three. Light this up. That's ours. Love. I don't care if they have an alternative lifestyle. Let's just love people. We can love people without changing our beliefs. Amen? I don't care if their hair is purple. Amen? I don't care how many tattoos they have. I mean, yeah, if they tat Hitler tattooed on their forehead, maybe you want to meet with them with somebody else. Okay, I understand that. I don't blame you. But who cares? 
Who cares what their past is? Hey, I don't care where you were last night. I don't care if you were at a bar. I don't care if you put heroin in your body. I don't care if you were a streetwalker. I don't care if you were in a business meeting last Friday. I don't care where you are. You're here today, and I hope you have felt loved by this group of people. Let's go. God calls you? Go. Next time we do a mission trip, go. I told this to 930. I'm sure somebody's going to. You know I preach differently. I think it's the suit. I feel more formal. 11 o'clock, I'm just more relaxed. Like, yeah, whatever. You know, throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. But I told 930 this, and I'll tell you this. You're going to die somewhere. Some people at 930 are closer than us. But anyway, you're going to die somewhere. Why not die doing something for Jesus? One of my biggest fears is I don't want to die doing something stupid. I don't want to be standing in line in heaven waiting to go in and stuff. And this person, oh, what did you die from? Oh, I was a martyr for, my, for Jesus. I was telling this group of people about him. And this group came in and they killed me and I would not renounce my faith. And they're like, oh, how did you die? Well, I accidentally drank bleach. I was, oh, it tasted good. I had a headache. I don't know. Just, I don't want to die doing something stupid. I want my life to matter. Love. Go. Serve. You walk out a day, walk out a spiritual warrior. I might offend somebody, but walk out a Marine for Jesus. Walk out an airman for Jesus then. Walk out a soldier for Jesus. Walk out a seaman for Jesus. Whatever it has to be, you walk out of here a spiritual warrior. Love, go, serve. I want to give you an example of somebody, not even a believer, and how they're impacting the world. This picture right here, uh, it is the picture of the Nanjing Yangtze River Bridge. Throw this up here. It's uh, the largest bridge in China. It's two or three miles, double-decker. But it, it was built in 1968 to talk about the greatness of communism and jazz like that. But there's also an interesting thing to it. It is the number one suicide spot in China. They have estimated since it's been built in 1968 that somewhere between two and 3,000 people have committed suicide on this bridge. Sometimes people travel for days, and they get there just to take their own life. Well, there's a man, and I don't know fully understand what motivated him. I don't believe he's a believer. But he decided something has to be done about this. This is this man. He's called the angel. Throw this up there. The angel of Nanjing. His name is Si Chen, or Chen Si. His, it's Mr. Chen. He's the angel of Nanjing. And what he decided, I think somewhere around 98 or 99, he just decided he was going to do something about this. And so he has this really ridiculous, dinky little moped. And since the bridge is two or three miles, he will drive up and down just about every day, and he will look for people attempting to take their own life. And he talked about how some of the people like that, he'll just kind of hold on to them, just keep them from jumping over the rail. Some people he talks kindly to, and then he said that there's some people he will say things like, you are bringing shame to your family. It's a big deal in China. And what you're doing is wrong, and you will dishonor your ancestors and a whole bunch of things. He'll do whatever it takes to keep that person from taking their own life. And I saw that, and I thought, that spiritually is what a warrior for Christ is doing. They see young people just 
struggling, hair's blue, young lady looking for love and physical. Just you see the problems, and you see the addiction starting to come. We grab onto people, we tell them about Jesus. We try to help people who are believers, who are living a carnal life, encourage, beg, plead, shame, whatever we have to, to fall in love again with Jesus and let their life shine and do something for God. Isn't it amazing that a man that, as far as I know, doesn't know Jesus, can have a mission and a purpose in his life? And yet so many believers would say, I'm not sure where I'm fighting today. Why is it that before you got saved, you realized, I, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath, right? You realized Jesus was the bath. You realized you were a sinner. You were no good and every, I mean everything. You realized all that and you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. But then after you get saved, when he calls you to be a Christian warrior, when he calls you to be a spiritual warrior in the fight, you say things like, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not good enough. Well, listen, you weren't qualified and you weren't good enough to get saved. It was the grace of God. And I'm here to tell you today, you are not qualified. You are not good enough to be a spiritual warrior in God's army. But it is the grace of God that steps in and allows you to do something. Today, you're either in the army or you are fighting against the army. Are you a spiritual warrior today? Love, go, serve. Somebody needs you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God brought you here today. Maybe your last time, but he brought you here today to talk to you. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Didn't ask to be Baptist, didn't ask if you were baptized, didn't ask if you took a class. At some point in your life, have you realized you were a sinner separated from God and Jesus was sent as your payment, your substitute? Did you ask Christ to save you and come into your heart, be your Savior? If you have, you're either one or two things. You are either a fleshly, carnal person, you are a carnal Christian who's motivated by women and money, or you are a spiritual man, a spiritual woman of God who is motivated by his family and his God. You're one or the other. One or two. No middle of the road. No third option. One or the other. Why don't you today, right where you're at, you need to do business with God, you need to ask for forgiveness, you need to repent, do it. He's not going to smack you down. But why don't you today make a decision before I walk out these doors, I'm going to be a Christian warrior. I'm going to be a spiritual warrior. I'm going to love. I'm going to go. And I'm going to serve wherever, whenever, whoever. Because this world needs Jesus. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for second chances. Thank you for people who never need them. But Lord, most of us do. So Father, if there's someone in here today who identifies more as Saul than David, Lord, help them as a believer to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to make some changes. There's someone who's never accepted you, Lord. Uh, help them today, Lord, to know Jesus loves them and died for them. And Father, help every one of us who are believers to walk out of today as spiritual warriors in a spiritual battle. In Jesus' precious name.